You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. All right, folks, welcome to the Guidepost. This is Kyle Schaefer. Tony handed me the mic today, so I'm hosting my first podcast here on the Guidepost. Um, been psyched to be a guest, but I am uh, I am now getting to interview my good buddy and a great guide up in Quebec who's been who's been at it up in the Gaspé Peninsula for years. Um, former salmon guide, lodge manager, trout guide. Um, a really wonderful guy that I've been been lucky to get to know over the past um, eight or nine years. Andrew Murphy, welcome to the Guidepost, man. We're psyched to have you. Thanks, Kyle, man. Super stoked to be here talking with you today. Um, I was looking for, forward to this one all week, so this is great. Awesome, man. Um, well, it's great to have you here. So with, with Andrew hailing from the North Country up in, up in Canada, um, I'd love for, for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background um, and what you do, what kind of your guiding's like up in, up in the Gas Bay. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so Quebec is like a huge province. Um, so I grew up about eight hours away from the place I live in currently in the Gaspé coast. So the Gaspé is like far east, um, just north of New Brunswick. Um, but I got into the professional side of fly fishing um, when I was like 18. I got a guide job in, in Labrador. Um, so this was a fly-in camp, uh, remote stuff, and we we're chasing like brookies on on surf on topwater flies and landlocked salmon and all that good stuff. And it was kind of the young and crazy days and i did that for about uh four or five years um and then kind of wanted to do something different uh have a bit more of a connection with uh people outside the fishing camp <laughs> so, uh so i moved out here and in, in uh in 2018 i uh i got a camping spot for a summer with a trailer and i bought a little center console boat like an old mako and uh and came up here and wanted to figure out the striped bass fishery and and hopefully like make a go at it um so so that's what brought me here and the gas bay is like well known for its for its salmon fishing um so we already have like a good population of anglers you know international anglers coming in and out of the uh, of this area and more specifically i chose to to kind of stick in the bay de chaleur area the, the heat bay um so this is like the the eastern corner of it um and you know it's known for rivers like the bonaventure river or the cascopedia uh petite cascopedia which are you know if you salmon fish in north america you've probably heard of these rivers before they're super popular and resilient you know fish population there um but there's also this whole other planet to explore on the ocean side with the striped bass fishery that's uh kicking back in uh into action since uh 2013 Awesome, man. Well, that's that's super cool, and 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 people probably maybe some folks that are listening their ears perked up when they heard Gaspé Peninsula. I mean, it's just so rich with with uh, with salmon history, and and I've been lucky to to come up and fish with Andrew a few times, and spent a bunch of time up there with them, and and the the the, the salmon rivers are unbelievable, um, just just absolutely beautiful places, and um, you know, and to connect with the land salmon is pretty, pretty magical thing. But, you know, so 
so you've got this this budding striped bass fishery. So can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, what what's kind of happened, you know, just kind of an overview of the timeline of of why did these stripers disappear and and now why are they why are they back and and kind of what catch us up on kind of the management side of how we got to to today where you've moved to the gas bay and you're you know guiding for them every day now in the summers yeah for sure so i've been like nerding out on the striped bass history recently um i find it like super interesting and i've got to meet like some really cool people just kind of running me through the whole thing um but basically if we're looking at the history of things the earliest recorded like statement we have that's not like anecdotal but like hard statement from the government of, of canada goes down to like 1849 and the quotes you get in that report are are pretty crazy like when they're talking about the miramichi stock they're they're saying it, it's nearly, if not quite, destroyed. Um, and then if they're looking at a small river up north, the Tabison Tack, um, he says, like, it's nearly nearly at an end, and the Richibucto is said to be completely gone. Um, yeah. So, you know, and this is... Those first, these are those yeah. first recordings back in the mid-1800s. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, wow. So this population was already struggling um, back then. And what happened was basically these these guys would harvest them commercially, like commercially harvest stripers, because um, New Brunswick and Quebec has a his, rich history of commercial fishery, like dating back to the 1700s, right? Um, but what they would do is they would uh, harvest them through the ice in the winter. So they would cut holes where the, the striped bass would be aggregating for for survival in the winter. And they would use like these giant hoop nets and just like, you know, catch them by the, by the hundreds and the hundreds, it, you know, as they're concentrated in very small areas. Um, and, you know, they were using stuff like with a, like a four inch net size. So really small and they would, and they lowered the, the netting size. Um, and then there's like a 150 year history of like beating them down. Uh, so that, you know, like in 1873, uh, the, the government of Canada tries to shut it down. Um, but what they, what happens is that, um, bycatch sales are allowed. So these guys that were targeting striped bass basically get an alewife fishing license and then they just mm. keep beating on the stripers because they're allowed to, to sell whatever bycatch they catch. Mm. And, and, you know, this went through, and it was periods of booms and busts. So they would close the fishery, they would recover, uh, you know, 1893, 1909, um, they, they record about 110 tons of, of striped bass and commercial landings. Um, in 1968, they're down to 10 tons of bycatch. So there's fluctuations through the years. Um, and it wasn't until like 1983 that they banned the hoop nets. Um, so that gave them a little boost. And then there was just like periods of really extensive illegal uh, fishing and illegal sales of them from the, you know, in the seventies up to the mid 1990s. Um, but it really wasn't until 1996 that DFO, which is our saltwater management organization um closed the fishery down closed the bycatch and then finally stopped allowing like commercial sale of the fish um and you know which is and, kind of like essentially a moratorium right it's well that's it like it's exactly that it was a moratorium um and you know the last recorded season of commercial harvesting 1995 to 1996 they estimate that about 30,000 fish were landed and sold 
Um, but then in 1997, when they're starting this program, they do a population assessment to see like how many fish are left. And they estimated that the striper abundance back then was 3,400 fish. Wow. Because it was combined, yeah, because it was combined yeah. with a hard winter year. And they, they you know, so, and, or anyways, it was early 90s, like 93 or something like that. Um, so they started working on this project and then what they what they did was um close all the commercial fisheries just you know keep a tighter lid on things like that not you know a lot of groundwork trying to trying to get these fish back um monitoring like more tightly like all the other commercial fisheries that would happen in the miramichi whether it was smelt fishing or alwife or gasparo um and so what they decided to do was they they had a a, a conservation target of uh, 31, about 31,000 fish. Um, and if they could get 31,000 spawning adults for three out of six years, um, they would open the wreck fishery. And so they hit that target in, in 2013. And from there, we went to a high point in 2017 of about 950,000 fish, adult fish. Um, wow. And then we, we came down from that due to cold winters and a variety of factors and these populations have been fluctuating um but yeah and i started up here in in 2018 was kind of my first guide season um so i'd, I'd fish for stripers a lot when i was younger um again quebec is a huge province and i grew up kind of north of to make it simple usually i say i grew up like an hour north of burlington so in the eastern mm -hmm. townships and we would shoot down when I was younger, we'd fly fish like all of like we'd fish like the Catskills, we'd fish all the Adirondacks, like a lot. We'd hop the border all the time, go trout fishing in the mountains. Um, and we we'd do we'd keep moving south and we'd go down to Maine and fish for stripers in the summer. Um, you know, this was back in like 2009, Like I had some a younger fishing mentor that knew the areas and stuff. So we'd always go down there and fish for them. And in 2013 i remember like the fishery up here opened up and we came up here and we like the guys were throwing like mickey fins like three inch like one inch mickey fin like trout flies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on like short leaders and like you know ratty old rods and like there's barely any beaches and we showed up and we had like stripping baskets and like like real outbound fly lines and like semi-intermediate stuff to get through to cut through the waves and we were like just hammering this fishery it was insane because these fish were you know not in a huge population back then but recovering and recovering fast and then there was no angling pressure on them yeah um, so yeah. they were just hungry and i mean every any beach any night you just crush them yeah that's so um, cool i mean and and so you kind of you moved there kind of right as that the population was right around its peak you said like 2017 you had this you know maybe the population peaked and there's some natural fluctuations that that have occurred that might kill some fish off here and there and um so you got to see it when it's just booming and and it still really is um i i've been lucky to be up there for I think I think I've been fishing with you now for two, two or three years up there, and got to spend most of August with you up there last year. And, and to see to see that you know the gas bay when it's when it's firing and um, see all those fish on the flats is is pretty incredible. You know, for for me being a you know 
someone who's focused on flats fishing and um, for stripers in, in Maine for many years, you know, we're kind of watching, we're watching the population go down. And so to go up and see lush eel grass flats and happy fish that look like some of them act like they've never seen a fly before, which is pretty damn cool. Um, makes it for some incredible memories up there. I'm, I'm sure most of them still haven't seen a fly. <laughs> um, you know, they're like eager to eat um, happy fish. Uh, and, and yeah, the population's just like keeps fluctuating to some degree, but it's, it's the overall trend is going up, um, which is super encouraging to see for us. And, and yeah, the I initially started, like I said, I bought like a, a Mako, like a 17 foot Mako with a 115. And I do like this coastal stuff more. And I, sucked at reading electronics and i still suck and hopefully none of my like first year clients hear about this because like i had no clue what i was doing um and there wasn't really like any there was one guide starting at the same time as i was and there was another guide kind of like half starting his business at the same time like no one had really like tapped into it like on the wreck side like hard like fishing it every day uh and then you know you're trying to get these guys that come up here um a lot of them are salmon anglers are used to you know river fishing really small flies like the pickup cast is is kind of the way to go when you're swinging and then you're giving these guys like a like a 750 grain sink line and a six inch fly and you're trying to get them to cast at rocks and two foot swells and <laughs> so it was like it was a super hectic thing um, but I knew that the fish would hold in the shallows cause I'd been fishing for them for some time and I had more success like catching them from shore than I did out of my own boat, which was like a super frustrating experience. And, you know, through this whole thing, like in the background, I was also working on a buddy of mine on an oyster farm. So we had, uh, we'd received grant money to basically like analyze this little area of the coastline where we where we live to see like where we could set an oyster farm up like growth rates and stuff and water temps and so like one of the one of the things we were doing is like just checking these these cages these like floating oyster cages like once a week or something on floating on flats basically you know because that's where oysters live and grow um and i'd stumble into fish way more often than I did when I go to check my oyster cages and what I did with yeah. my clients that morning, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I started like kind of switching my, you know, my clients would, would be coming and I'm like, well, I know, I know, you know, that I've got like this bigger boat and stuff like that, but if you want, I can take you on this. Um, I had a towie back then. So I'm like, we'll fit yeah. three people in this towie with like a 20 horse and I'll pull off my, I'll pull off like the, the Yeti cooler in the back. Cause it didn't even have like a polling platform and we'll try it out. Um, so that's what we started doing. And then I was like, well, this is a like way more fun. And we were chatting quite a bit and I knew like kind of what you were up to down in Maine. I'm like, for me, flats fishing is just the way to go and i i was hesitant to do it up here initially but then when i figured this one out i was like all right like i'm i'm gonna sell the mako um it still lives in my yard i never actually sold the thing but uh i did get my first flats boat drove you know down to florida uh picked it up and started like doing it like full time on the flats which is which is incredible and that's that's when we're connecting when you had your flats boat and you know, you were you were jamming and you were seeing really cool stuff. And I, I remember seeing some of those early early pictures of, of of fish just loaded up on these flats. And it's just it's so it's so different. Stripers are obviously it's the it's the same fish, but this is a genetically different 
um, striped bass. This is a fish that spawns in the Miramichi River. So, uh, you know, different than our Chesapeake fish. And and they just, they end up operating so differently up where you are. And it's it's really cool. I think my, the first time I went up there, you know, I was with, uh, with you and Grizz and, and we, you know, we hopped out of the boat and we waited for, for stripers, like, like you'd go bone fishing for the first half of the day. And it was just as, could catch as many fish as, as you wanted. And uh, I remember just, you know, just holding my rod and crossing my arms across my chest and just kind of stop fishing and just soaking it in. Cause you're, you know, and these, these fish, a lot of them are floating on top of the water. You got tails out of the water, you got dorsal fins and, um, you know, and they're pretty happy to eat a fly, um, which is, which is really cool. And, you know, and then the latter half of that day, and this is all beautiful, sandy bottom, you know, walking around, uh, without, without wading boots on. And then we hop back in the skiff and, and go on the inside of one of these estuaries as the tide's poking in. And, and, uh, you put me on one of my more memorable, um, striped bass, you know, this, this big fish that ate a shrimp and, um i don't know a couple feet of water and um it, it was just incredible i have some some amazing memories of fishing up there with you and i mean what are some of the nuance the, the nuanced things that you see those those fish doing up there that you know makes it so so unique to to your area yeah well it's hard to say like i must uh, i'm culpable of not coming down and visiting your fishery uh nearly as much as i should i think I'd, i haven't fished maine since probably like 2015 or something like that um some overdue um but yeah it's i think it's a very different fishery um again they they, they have like that genetic difference and they live in such a different environment because we're like way more north atlantic right and we have this little pocket of hot water called like the southern gulf of st lawrence um so for map nerds, you know, we're looking at uh, Per Se, which is like the point of the Gaspé Peninsula. And if you run all that coast inside, you come to where I'm at, and then you start heading south and kind of back around the bay, and then you hit like uh, New Brunswick, uh, Bathurst and all that. You go all the way back down south, and then you go to the point of Cape Breton. Um, so that's basically like we're looking at about 475 miles of coastline is, is their little livable you know, hot pocket area um, where they spend some time in. And, um, and yeah, they just, I think they behave like differently. Um, I know when I'm talking to, to people like you, to, to Ben Wally and all that, like we're talking a lot more like single, double, maybe triple fish, but here it's, it's pods like bonefish, you know, we're looking at up to 200 of them coming in as one one giant group and then as they ride with the tide and these groups will kind of disperse into smaller units and smaller units and then sometimes you get like little chains of 10 12 fish but it's very very hard like it's it's hard for me to find a single big fish you know they're they're kind of ganging up they're staying in in groups of 10 to 15 20 and like i say all the way up to god how many you know maybe 500 of them in, in one group like if they're staging around that low tide area um and they seem to like the skinny like the skinny skinny water like you're saying that big fish you caught you said a couple of feet i want to say it was maybe a foot maybe even less like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i it was skinny because like this was early june when they're like eager i think to get like high up on the flat systems that we're using 
Um, and this is like areas of the marsh that are dry on low tide. We get about a six foot tide average. Um, and so these, these areas are, are dry. And I think like the sun soaks, like heats up the, the, the mud and the sand there. And I think they like that like warmth because like we're in the, again, like we're, we're still like in the North Atlantic, but we're sometimes early June and we're wet waiting and the water's like 67, 68, like just nice hot, just because these like long, really skinny, flat areas are keeping warmth. And I think these fish just love being there, like love that like skinny environment. Um, you know, all of these estuaries we're fishing are from um, salmon rivers, basically. And these salmon rivers are, are fairly well protected, uh, all things considered. So we're not looking at runoff. We're not looking at large amounts of discharge. Uh, the gas bay doesn't have any industry. And basically, if I recall, like 95%, if not more of the population lives within three miles of the coast. Um, so there's no, there's no runoff. These rivers are coming down super clean, which means we have these very healthy estuary spaces with like healthy eelgrass, um, which means, you know, our sand shrimps are super happy or grass shrimps, like all of our little crabs are, are doing well. Um, the small bait fish that come in and out are just doing super well. And so I think it's a very target rich environment for stripers to come on. And I think yeah. part of this population has just gotten to, you know, stripers will be stripers and they become experts at certain things. And I think there's a good chunk of our population that's expert at hunting in skinny water and looking for, for bait there. Yeah, it's so it's so cool. And and I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, I think stripers by nature, like if they're going to hang out and, and, and kick it somewhere, they like that shallow that shallow water that's comfortable and you know we we definitely see that down here too i think on our on our mud flats that's typically where fish are fish are definitely up to feed but there's some of these sandy zones where you know you can always go find some some bigger fish that are that are sitting milling around you know i think especially in the middle of the day it's just a really happy place for them to be and um and it's such a interesting dynamic up there that you've got these big, beautiful freshwater rivers flowing out into this salty estuary. And, you know, we've, I've been with you and we're, when you're looking at fish that are, that are eating, like, what is it that one day they're eating scuds coming out of the rivers. Um, you know, you got these, you got these fish set up. I think this is a little later in the summer, maybe August time. You got these fish set up that, um, you know, the river's pumping out scuds and these fish are just, they're, they're feeding like trout, you know, and, you know, you're trying to fish the smallest stuff that you can. And, um, and so it's, you know, I think point being, it's such a unique, um, unique, interesting fishery up there that, um, you know, the prey changes frequently for what those fish are eating throughout the season. Um, and also one thing that that's really kind of struck me too, spending a, a lot of time up there last August, where it's if you, if there's a place you think there should be a fish, you know, there's probably a fish. Like we explored some new areas and that we hadn't fished before, and sure enough, it was good habitat and and there was fish there, which is which is refreshing. I think for for me right now, I'm going back to places that I used to guide and um, in Maine, and you know, year over year, I'm finding less fish there, and so it's. Uh, it's been a breath of fresh air to, to come up and fish with you up there. Yeah. Like that's just the thing I like the most probably about this fishery. It's like our ability to look at a map 
and obsess, you know, through the long winter months at, at satellite imagery of certain areas. And then you go there the following summer and sure enough, you know, a lot of times on the first try, we can figure out where they're going and what they're doing. And we find this little population and then kind of, you know, tweak it and tune it. And, um, you know, we find some little pocket flats that are a couple acres in size. And those are like holding some super interesting fish. Um, and still, like, I mean, some of the flats we fish are are hundreds and hundreds of acres, like massive, mm-hmm. you know, massive areas. And those aren't quite dialed in, you know, like my my home flat, like down the road, five minutes away from my place, a Cascopedia flat is like endless. <laughs> you know, I couldn't pull every square inch of the thing in, in one day. And it's got like different areas and different depths on it and uh, there's like these mud channels that cut out of it um and you know i've explored two of the main channels but i've still got one channel that i haven't followed all the all the fingers all the way up and so that's just as a guide and as an angler like having done this for a couple of years like every summer i get to add layers to it add layers of complexity and add fun and i think like one of the big draws for it and why we're we're able to do that is is this healthy stock you know a lot of fish coming Mm -hmm. around absolutely and you know which i think is such a great segue i think something i really wanted to talk about um uh, with you today was you know so all these fish they spawn down in the miramichi river um and and i think that the visual that if anybody that's listening has seen kind of what happens down there in the Miramichi, I think, you know, you might have seen that, you know, drone footage where that drone just keeps flying and it is looking down in the Miramichi River and it is over a enormous, enormous school of striped bass. And they are, they are so thick. Um, you know, it's almost kind of, kind of wall to wall and, uh, of, of the banks and, um, you know, and I think that's been kind of like a, just a startling visual for, for a lot of people. They're like, wow, that's quite a bit of biomass. And, you know, I hear a lot of, you know, you still hear a lot of people kind of having some confusion seeing that and seeing where we are with our um, our stocks of striped bass, our Chesapeake and Hudson River and, and some of the other spawning areas of what's happening with our fish. And, and I think some people are, you know, out there thinking maybe we've got some fish that slipped up to to the north but there's there's really and i kind of wanted to hear from you on this but there's it sounds like there's no evidence that that is that those stocks are missing mixing this is a this is a a unique um canadian stock from the miramichi river that summers up there with you in the southern gulf of st lawrence and up in the gas bay and it's a totally different different stock of fish because I, I think that's been I'd love to kind of hear you talk about that a little bit and um, just kind of get into that conversation. Yeah, for sure. So if we're looking again at what DFO's done and there, there's a ton of great people like doing some really interesting research on, on stripers in Canada, um, we'll basically say that there's three main stocks, three main recognized stocks. Um, there's and, and these are all genetically different fish um from from the american population you know where they're looking at scale sampling and stuff like that and, and tracing the genetic material before behind these they're from the same species but they're from distinct stock and within canada these stocks are different than one another um so we have like a really small stock that's not doing like so well um in the fundy area 
Um, and then what we're fishing here in the gas bay, which is like the, the highest percentage of stripers, like the, the, the biggest stock, is what they call the Gulf of St. Lawrence, like Southern Gulf of St. Lawrence stock. Um, so again, these fish are like genetically different. And then we have another stock, um, which is currently recovering, like the fishery isn't open yet, uh, but in the St. Lawrence River stock. So we've got, you know, mm -hmm. the Gulf of St. Lawrence and the St. Lawrence River stock. Um, and these fish used to historically run up to the, the, the island of Montreal, basically. Um, so huge range, but yeah, they're, they're a, a distinct fish. Um, they tend to be maybe a little bit smaller than what we see in, in the U.S. Um, you know, there, there's obviously like a bunch of data missing. Um, and one big thing that we're dealing with right now is just, um, you know, the uh, shifting baseline kind of theory where, you know, we're talking about the earliest recording we have, 1850s of like 1850s, 150 years ago. We're already talking about these populations being extinct. Um so we had they have a hard time figuring out like what was the actual like range and spread but again these fish are are different than you guys and one of the main reasons why these fish are staying in this area um is that the off the the point of cape breton which is kind of their southern range for us um there's a historic like cold water mass so cape breton um is this island that extends into the the atlantic ocean and you get like a, a deep water drop off. So you get a lot of cold water hanging off the point of that island. Um, and it's theorized by, by a lot of people in the scientific community that this mass of cold water basically stops the flow of, of warm water fish going around the uh, going around the peninsula. And historically, that wasn't a, a problem because um, they could use the, uh, the Canso Strait, which is like a... Uh, two mile wide gap um, that would make Cape Breton Island be an island and the mainland of Nova Scotia. So this was like a, a southern part. Um, but that thing has been closed off. It's a causeway now since the night since 1955. And that's called like all sorts of conservation issues because whales used to migrate through that. Uh, billions of animals used to migrate through that. And it, it's warm. It's caused the Gulf of St. Lawrence to warm up. Um, cause this, mm. that cold water would come in, that cold Atlantic water would come into the Gulf through that little narrowing and it would allow nutrient exchange and stuff like that. So, so this is kind of landlocked this population of stripers, um, in our area. And the only thing we'll see is like this, the Southern Gulf of St. Lawrence population will go up and around the point and mix with the St. Lawrence population. Um, so right now, one of the main reasons why we're not having a fishery open on both sides of the, of the peninsula, like it's only open for the Shillera Bay, which is the southern end, is they can't quite figure out, or, or there's still some doubts or some hesitancy about the actual population of the St. Lawrence fish. Because um, there's, there's just like intermingling a little bit of the two stocks. Um, right. But yeah, well, super, and, and, sorry, go on, Andrew. It's super, oh, no. it's super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, lo I, lo I love hearing about where these stocks are coming from, and um, and it, it's just so unique. It's such a different, such a different world up there. And uh, um, you know, I think I think a big takeaway is to just 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 understanding that there isn't a huge a huge mixing of of what we've got going on um, down here in the U.S. and and that a lot of those fish are 
you know, they are genetically unique fish that are spawning in these estuaries and, um, and they've got their, they've got their summer grounds, just like our, our U.S. stripers do. Oh, hundred percent. And, you know, that's one thing, um, one of the concerns, let's say, with this population is there's there's no intermingling and there's there's basically one main spawning area, the northwest of the Miramichi is where we're seeing most of the action. Um, and, but if we go through historic records, we should be seeing these fish spawn through a dozen rivers across the Gulf of St. Lawrence, um, you know, based on anecdotal evidence and, and historic evidence. Um, but they're still in a very, very confined and fragile state. You know, we've got all of our eggs in one basket. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's just like, there, there's, their cavalry is not coming if, if these guys go out, you know, there's, there's nothing right. else to replace it, you know, nothing will take their place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, and there's, there's so much value. I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, how many licenses are being sold for, for striped bass up in Canada and how it's, it's become kind of this booming, um, you know, this booming fishery that people can go step on a rock and go catch a fish. And, and I think you kind of compare that to the, you know, the fisheries that have, has typically brought a lot of people up there is, you know, is Atlantic salmon. Um, and, um, you know, it's just such an accessible fish. And I think that's like, you know, it's, it's one of our most popular, um, sport fish on, on, in the entire, uh, U.S. um, for us on the East coast. And, um, and the wonderful thing about it is the same thing. People, somebody can stand on a concrete slab in, in the Charles River in Boston. And um, when we've got good stocks of fish around, you can go throw a lure and, and have likelihood of, of connecting with, with one of these fish. So it's, it's pretty cool for, um, you know, for wreck anglers up, up in your neck of the woods that you guys have access to, to this, the species that was literally on the brink of collapse, right down to 3,500 fish. And now they're booming again. And, uh, but you've got some management stuff on the horizon that, you know, you're keeping your eyes on and, um, and certainly some, some conflict salmon and striped bass. And, you know, they're, they're occupying the, some of the same water where they've, they've lived together for millennia, but, um, but here we are in present day. There's, you know, we have we have some stuff that's out of balance, and salmon are salmon are fighting pretty hard to, um, you know, to keep their hold in in these rivers. And just just tell us a little bit about kind of what you're what you're seeing going on, and um, you know, what's it going to take to kind of maintain a, a healthy striped bass level, and kind of where we're at. Yeah, well, for, for sure. I mean, you kind of hit the you know i alluded to this a little bit earlier but basically what happens is right now we have all of our eggs in one basket we've got one spawning ground that's known we've got like one population that overwinters there and that's kind of it we should be seeing these fish spawn in a variety of rivers in a variety of environment you know they estimate the estimate is that we basically have um 800 square kilometers so like 300 square miles of habitat for them to, to spawn and, and occupy. And they're using a very, very small fraction of it right now. And, and shifting baselines, you know, not having beat this population down for so long, um, people never were really familiar with them. And historically, the, the Gas Bay, New Brunswick, this is like an area for, for salmon angling, for, for trout angling, um, you know, and, and recent memory like that's what people are doing here but there's also like a bunch of these forgotten fisheries um nova scotia in the 60s was super well known for pollock fishing um mm. you know Z zane gray used to come up here and, and fish for bluefin 
like in the early 1900s out of Halifax and he caught like a record bluefin out of Halifax but we don't have these fisheries anymore so again like we we tend to forget very quickly what what fisheries used to be there um and so it it feels new for a lot of people um and some people are, are quick to say that the population has exploded or is an overpopulation or is just like high but again like the the historic data doesn't support it um and and it creates you know tension and worry because we're humans after all and nobody likes to see necessarily a new thing um so there's there's some pushback from people from the salmon you know as the salmon angling community that see them as as trash fish um see them as a nuisance and commercial guys are saying that it's you know eating their lobster stocks and all sorts of stuff you know it's a it's a it's a beautiful scapegoat <laughs> for all of our for all of our other like fishery management problems like we've got this great big target of something new um that's a native fish that's a native like genetic that was historically present um you know that had this prey prey predator relationship historically um you know these guys were here long before us but we've just forgotten about them um mm. so you know and i think there's just of course there's going to be some interaction species interactions on 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 both levels but it's it's i think just again an easy scapegoat and one of the hardest things for me to to kind of evolve in this sport up here and focusing my career and my fly fishing career on striped bass is like with the local like angling population they're not very popular there's there's again there's they're seen as a trash fish or you know like a dumb easy fish that the kids go fish you know that you fish with the kids in the afternoon and the subtlety is not like understood um and we have abundance so our success rate can be very high but that doesn't make it easier you know like right i it's always interesting to see someone coming from a from a river fishing background from like a salmon fishing background to hop on a skiff and then you know you have to make that shot within 20 seconds 10 seconds because here here they come like they're gonna pass and you know we've got two and a half miles three miles of current pushing and we've got you know wind over your shoulder and and you've got to make that single hand in one go you can't like you can't land it and re reconfigure your cast like you have to put it on that target <laughs> and you kind of see these guys not collapse but like oh like okay i get it now and the thrill yeah, of like sure. of the visual especially on the flats of like okay like there's that tailing fish there's that group moving like let's work these guys for 10 15 minutes get the boat in position like you know take take your one shot or two shot make it happen um Definitely. so a lot of the work i've been trying to do and other people have been trying to do up here i think is just kind of make this like a making it more of a game fish and and kind of seeing the, the the subtleties and the interesting sides of it uh whether it be on my end where, where it's fly fishing and flats fishing but also you know just guys like doing doing the traditional surf casting stuff like our surf casting culture is non-existent um you know in the last two or three years people have started using four inch white spooks you know <laughs> um surf rods weren't popular until very very recently and again like this fishery opened in in 2013 um so it's only yep. it's been 10 years like we have a very young angling community um that i think is is growing um but it's nowhere near like major levels and you know you look at the population of the gaspe we're only about 
40,000 people along this, this stretch of ocean. So there's, there's right, not that right. huge potential either to get like hundreds and hundreds of people, but we're getting people from all over the place coming up here now. We're getting people from Montreal and, and Ontario and, you know, some of the Americans, I think, are starting to figure out, like, huh, something's going on up there. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> well, we've, been, we've, certainly, we've certainly been paying attention, and so I've ended up on your boat for a few years in a row. And and I think, you know, it is it is interesting. I mean, just talking about the intersection of people and this fishery and how few people are on the Gaspé Peninsula and how, how many fish there are. And, you know, I think a little bit about our our striper population migrating out into the Chesapeake Bay and swimming by some of the most populated places in the, in the world. And, uh, and these, these fish are hanging on to survive and keep procreating so we can keep, have some, some fun trying to catch them and protect them. And, um, you know, and you also touch on, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, you've get your, your Quebec anglers there that are, that are used to um, salmon fishing and they're all of a sudden now they're, now they're casting at this, this moving target. They might not be able to see it, but you can see Andrew's up there on the, uh, on the platform. You can see him for 400 feet away. You see him coming a mile away. And um, I found it interesting too, that you do have those really fun elements where, might be a little bit easier to catch a fish you might be able to kind of cast into a school of fish let them settle start stripping and you know you're gonna fool one of them you might have spooked a couple when that fly landed but they're gonna settle somebody's gonna eat or you could pick them off the edge of those schools but two i think a really cool thing about there is especially going to explore a little bit with you is you know some of those places where we have found some of those bigger ones that you know some places where you're crossing the bay and getting out to some of these different different zones and um you know seeing some of these fish in the mid 30 inch range and you know i don't want to exaggerate but probably even pushing pushing 40 um like that one craig cantelmo got i mean you guys fed that fish 20 feet from the boat or something and watched that big mouth just open up and the fly disappear what what was that what was that whole shot and interaction like i mean that that's pretty cool that's pretty special to see oh that that 100 like that was um definitely fishing like a newer flat newer area um that we kind of touched the year prior kyle if you remember and we we figured like looking at some maps like that should be a big fish area um i mean the the fear the flat that i was at with uh with you when i got the call from my wife and said that uh we have we all have covid we have you have to leave the flat now and we're literally like yeah tide is perfect and i'm like guys i gotta go drive uh 12 hours with my family because we i i guess we all have covid um yeah that was anyway, a that was a difficult trip <laughs> for, for all of us um, anyways anyways fast forward a year we're back out there and you're in front of a big fish yeah <laughs> Try, trying that flat out and I'd figured some things out, um, you know, with uh, Alex Ford and, and Dan Zaz like a couple of days before that too. And um, obviously Craig's got like Hawkeyes. Uh, he's been at this way longer than I have. Um, I still see myself as kind of a junior guide figuring it out and whatnot. And we're, we're pulling up and uh, we're fishing in maybe two and a half, three feet of water. And, and it's like this patchy area. So like really thick eelgrass with like, little little openings like sandy openings kind of throughout and you know we we hit like probably like some of the, my best like big fish day before then like we fed like a lot of really really big fish that day and things were just lining up super well 
and and we're kind of moving and i'm scanning out like what ended up probably being like just too far i'm trying to see like two patches of of openings ahead and i'm not necessarily looking at the patch that's like right in front of the boat and and craig goes like i think that's a fish right there and i kind of look down i'm like you know i had to call it up i'm like no way like that's just a log or something it's and sure enough like he kind of you know she could kind of lit up a little bit and we could see like the sheen um so he fed it and like super short super quick cast just kind of bumped it and and it turned and it kind of looked at it and then it kind of started swimming just past past the target like it noticed it but it didn't like and you know craig like without skipping a beat just like picked up the picked up the fly and just put it like right right on the target like right in front of her and just like it hovered up a little bit and you just saw like the big gill flare like sucked in that little shrimp pattern like it's like no hesitation you know she was kind of it was kind of leaving it was going away um figured maybe something wasn't quite right but that shrimp just was too uh was too end of an easy target and yeah i mean that's probably one of my biggest definitely one of my bigger like fish we we landed on on my boat like all seasons combined um that's cool i think last season we we started dialing in a little bit more of the big fish uh as i've gotten just more confident with my my polling and my sighting and stuff like that and you know i i know my my bread my breadwinner areas where I can take a more novice client, which is a lot of my client base. Um, a lot of people haven't stepped on a flats boat up here and I can take them for more easier shots. But like, if I go out on my own or if I have a, a crew of anglers, that's a little bit more advanced. We can, we can go look for quality over quantity and try to try to hunt these big fish down. And, and yeah, there's, there's a good chunk of them out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I get, and, I get that impression too. And it's just right. Like, I mean, but you know, as fish get bigger, they start changing what they do, their attitudes, they sit in different places and you really, you know, I feel like that's, that's one thing I've seen across, you know, any of the fisheries that I've ever been in is as you start to get into that kind of upper, upper size class, you know, fish just start breaking all the rules. And once you start figuring that out, you start connecting with really cool ones like, uh, like that story. Um, just, uh, just pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. And hopefully like more to come and, and, and you know, I'm, I keep ro- rotating back to this, but this is a young fishery. This opened like 10 years ago. Right. So we yeah. don't have that many fish that are like, we really don't have that many fish that are 10 years old or, or eight years old or, you know, 15, 20 years old, like some stripers can, you know, they have a long, they take a long time to grow big and they can live a really long time, but we don't have that historic like big fish population. That's like a multi-year spawner that's been there for a long time. What we have is just an abundance of, of that smaller slot size. That's just like super happy and, and a little bit younger, but as the years progress, like for sure, like between 2018 and now I'm seeing way more big fish. And I don't necessarily yeah. think it's because people are getting better at catching them. I think there's just starting to be a little bit more big fish yeah, coming around. Yeah. They're not yeah, as hard to sense. find. Makes sense. And those those big fish are probably some of those early early success stories, you know, those are those fish that that were spawning as as as, you know, the the industry gave those fish enough of a break to 
um, to replenish, to have successful spawns, to get big. So probably some of those 40 inches are, are really kind of like those leaders. And, and it's interesting too, like you've got such a, you know, thinking about genetics, you know, you've got um, such an even playing field. I feel like now you're going to see um, some of these more dominant, um, strong genetic fish to, to maybe kind of start, start pulling away um, as time goes on. So, you know, um, be really interesting to, to see what kind of happens over the next five to 10 years up there. And, you know, everybody follow along with, with Andrew Murphy, what he's doing up there. Gas Bay Coastal is his, is his guiding outfit. Um, you know, definitely, definitely worth a reach out and to, to check out what, what Andrew's doing up there. Um, I know I'll probably be trying to make my way back up there in in August and, uh, um, see if I can get on the bow for, for a couple of days with Andrew. It's always, uh, always a blast to get up there. Um, so I think let's, let's wrap it up, man. It's been awesome. Awesome to chat with you today. And, um, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's stay tuned with what's going on with you guys up there, um, uh, with management and, uh, um, and I can't wait to fish with you in the future. Absolutely, man. Oh, for sure, man. I can't wait to have you back on the boat and some of, uh, some of the friends from, from down South to come up. Um, really looking forward to next season. Um, we've got a bunch of super fun stuff in the works and I think it's going to be a killer year for us and, uh, yeah, eager to get, eager to get, uh, fishing. I'll be, uh, I'll be, uh, participating in the cheeky tournament this year. I've had a lot of people tell me I have to come and check it out. So I'll, uh, I'll probably kick off my striped bass season down there and then make my way back north and hit the Miramichi a little bit for that uh, for that spring action and then move on to the flats in, in early June into to October. That sounds like a heck of a plan. Well, I know I'll be at the Cheeky as well, and so we'll we'll get a chance to hang and gather a good uh, a good fishy crew together and um, have a beer. So thanks, everybody, for listening today. It was awesome to catch up, Andrew, and... We'll see you next time, man. Hey, my pleasure. Let's do this again.